Welcome to the Sisters of Industry podcast with hosts Laura Brown and Jen Williams, where the goal is to help you work harder, lean smarter, and live life better. Where one bloodline and different industry experiences will provide new insight to make you more effective at work and play. Our mistakes will help all of us laugh and learn. Get ready to lean in, lean out, and possibly snort coffee out your nose as they talk about all things business, leadership, and life. Let's go. I'm Laura, the sister whose current problems include two new bunnies in my house and a large dog who is afraid of them both. I'm Jen, and my biggest problem currently is keeping enough food in the house for growing boys who are never more than two rooms away from the refrigerator. Our episode today picks up right where we left off in our discussion on problem solving. Once you've figured out exactly what your problem is, now you need an efficient way to solve it and to make your way to an action plan, preferably without creating more problems in the process. Let's get down to business. All right, Laura, so you know that I like to pretend scientist every now and then because I am so much not a scientist, but Newton's third law of physics is that every action has an equal opposite reaction. And whether you remember that from your high school physics class or if you remember that because it made it into the Hamilton lyrics, that is simply a true statement of how things and matter moves in our universe. Now, the reason my head went there as I was picking up from the conversation we had last time on problem solving and figuring out what the problem is, is that I have I have done this thing over and over and over again in my leadership, especially early on, where in the process of getting ready to solve one problem, I have created 10 more. And so that was what I loved so much about the conversation we had last week and some of the strategy you laid out about not going so quickly to the brainstorming that we didn't frame it very carefully and understand what our problem is so that we didn't create more problems. And so, Laura, as we get ready to jump into some action plan thoughts for actually moving to the solution, give us the give us the two minute review from last week of how we, you know, set this up well to not create 18 more problems. So first, I'm going to create a problem for you, Jen, in, you know, (laughs) you talk through an intro there um, and try to pretend you're a scientist and then you try to distract me, but I'm not so easily fooled. (laughs) You were singing Hamilton, weren't you? Um, actually, no. I'd like to know if you could tell me any of Newton's other laws of physics. Oh, now that's just mean. I have oh, no idea. Come what comes up must go down. What goes up must come down. Is that one or is that just another song lyric? <laughs> Jen, I don't think we should touch this for sake of embarrassment. Um, I, wow. You know what? We're going to get you some special classes. I have a couple friends that do have science backgrounds. We're just proving what podcast. I already acknowledged. I am not a scientist. <laughs> well, and I think I'd just like to reflect back to a previous series where we said part of people trusting you and seeing you as a professional is you just admit when you don't know things. So well done. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure I checked the box on my episode objectives for embarrassed Jen. Um, so done. We're good to go now. And now I'll embarrass myself and try to see if I can do a quick recap on last week. 
when it comes to problem solving, we talked a lot about how to get to the real problem last week. And I think there's just two really big things I want to make sure our listeners remember. The first one is to get the facilitator that is right for the moment starting you in this process. You are not going to be looking for an inspirational leader at this moment necessarily. Um, And you're also not looking for the person who's scared of their own voice or is so deep in the details that they can't see the forest for the trees to use a oft used phrase, right? Mm -hmm. Get the right leader working you through the problem solving process. So that's the first thing I wanna make sure you remember because it's gonna be very important as we talk about the action plan today. The second thing is make sure you have the correct problem statement. And I went probably on and on about this to a fault in our last episode, but it's so important. Have you made sure that you really understand the problem you're trying to solve as opposed to diag- or as opposed to listing symptoms of a problem that you wanna make go away? So right people, we're attacking the right problem. If you cannot check those two boxes yet, it, you're not ready for the action plan. If you feel good that you have those two boxes checked, you followed the process, listen on. Perfect. Okay, that was a good summary. And so that takes us right to the first piece. If now we have a clear statement, we know what we're trying to solve. If you remember um, Laura's illustration from last week that that got pointed in my direction was how do we make Jen not so loud? And she wasn't trying to make fun of me. It just happened to be right on the nose. But now that we've discovered, okay, this is clearly what we're trying to solve. Now we're ready to gather information and we can even go back to Um, Laura's bringing us back to Vanilla Ice last week, which is the whole stop, collaborate, and listen. Um, We've got to gather information that is directly relevant to the problem we're trying to solve. It's so amazing, all the wisdom that Vanilla Ice has. Um, (laughs) I... I think that... Do you remember when he went on HGTV? Didn't he do an HGTV show? A few years ago? A lot of different things. Um, He's done quite a few things in the last few years that are bizarre. We could probably make some commentary about the fact that he must have needed some money, but I don't know if that's a fair thing to say. But (laughs) needless to say, Vanilla Ice provides us so much wisdom. In future series, we will bring you like wisdom according to Eminem or something to just continue to work our way through the decades. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Come on, Jen. Work with me here. Okay, so let's uh, seriously, Vanilla Ice, he says, stop, collaborate, and listen. And I'm sorry, but I am going to key off of that because it's exactly what we need to do here when it comes to gathering information as the first part of putting together our action plan when we have a problem. It is really important that you do not go on assumptions at this point. So this is probably the one thing that I want you to take away, listeners. Don't overreact to assumptions. Let's gather information to help us problem solve. That information could look like a lot of key performance indicators or statistics that are going to help us with data sets that we can dig into. Um, That information could look like some process maps that either already exist or that we put together as a team to help us understand the current state of affairs um, that are leading to the problem that we have right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Or that information could honestly just look like failure examples, right? Sometimes you don't need to do the whole process mapping process and you might not have stats, but you might need to really dig into a couple examples of here's where we've had a failure. And as I referenced last time, do the very simple five whys procedure against it. Why did that happen? Why did that happen? Why did that happen? Why did we do that? Why did it happen that way? Keep 
pushing at y. It's not a literal five for those of you that do not know the technique. The point is to keep saying y until you realize you've actually had the aha moment that you know what's going on. Yeah, well, and I, let me jump in here too to say in this in this stage that we're in of gathering information, you really can't rush through it because it's really easy to want to jump to brainstorming and sorry, spoiler, that's going to be step two, but it's really easy to quickly try to go there. But when you don't have all the information, you start, you can waste a lot of time in brainstorming and brainstorming can be endless anyway, which is why we're going to talk about how it's bracketed by the fact that you've got to gather information and then you've got to make a decision. But in this brainstorming place, we want to go live. But information is really important. And so here's the illustration I'm going to give. So again, we all know we're in a different place in the world right now. And life is different. And we're all figuring out a lot of things. We're all solving, trying to solve some pretty significant problems of how things that we used to do, we can't do right now. And so for me, directly, one of those things is that we're trying to help connect people. It is really important to us that in our ministry and in all the things that we're trying to teach and move people to do and even how we serve people and feed meals in our community and all these kinds of things, we're trying to create connection. Well, our problem right now is that we can't connect anybody in actuality because we're trying to to keep social distance and, and move carefully into a reopened existence and kind of place. And so one of the struggles in the realm that I've been in is trying to figure out how to analyze and understand the information of our online numbers of who's connecting with us and which connections um, are actually, which, uh, how do I say this well, um, which connection points are actually real engagement points. Um, and so to get really specific on that for everyone in the online realm, um, you can do workshops and all kinds of things. And Facebook's going to tell you that you had 8 million views. And then the second that you look deeper into that and look at, but how many of those views were more than one minute, the number's going to drop to a fraction of those views. And if you skipped the gathering information process, you could very quickly start brainstorming solutions that were totally out of line with what was actually going on. So just want to offer that as a as an illustration. So it's a good illustration that you need to look at the information and not just take things as the, what the surface would tell you. Jen, one of the things I wanted you to help me reconcile is the fact that what you just described could be a long drawn out process, maybe not that one specifically, but even just explaining it um, took a few minutes. Um, sometimes problem solving is a very quick and rapid evolution um, or exercise. So when I need to move very quickly with a problem and don't have time to spend two weeks analyzing data and brainstorming, how do I get past this gather information stage efficiently? Well, you figure that out and it'll help all of us, Laura. I, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily know, except that I think sometimes by the time you've gotten to a good problem statement, you probably do have a decent amount of information. I mean, I was drilling down on something really specific, but if you've done, you know, the, the why work that you've been talking about, you know, again, just like you can get lost in the brainstorming before moving to a decision, you could probably get lost in the information stage. And sometimes you do have to work with what you have in front of you. Yeah, this is where the phrase analysis paralysis comes in, right? That mm -hmm. you hear a lot. More data is not always better 
more data is sometimes just more data. And what's really important here, and I think that what I want to drive at is that you want to gather information, but let's gather the right information. And you might make a misstep across the way, but you really want to make sure that you gather the right information and you also gather enough detail to be effective, but not so much detail that you get yourself buried. Um, there are slices and dices you can take all day that can that don't bring you any more value. So again, and we talked about this last week in the concept of framing the problem, work, get the amount of information you need to be effective not um, all the information that's available. And be very careful about that so that you don't put yourself in a position where you draw out this process. So our key is really to be effective and efficient without being overwrought. Which is really important because like you're pointing out, the amount of data that we have at our disposal in our current um, realm is huge. In fact, they say that the amount of data we have on anything is more than doubling year over year. And so you can get lost there so quickly. So, but with that, so the idea is you want to gather the information that you can and that you need very specifically so that you can move on to brainstorming. Now, Laura, I think that brainstorming varies widely based on the kind of problem that you're solving. And so that gets us very specifically into the, you know, are you going to be on whiteboards? Are you working with sticky notes? Are you actually in a lab? What does that look like? But aside from the different kinds of brainstorming, what do you see as essential to that part of the process? So um, first, I think one of the things that's essential to the process is acknowledging what you're not going to solve in your brainstorming. So there are certain things, and I hit on this last week a little bit in, in developing the scope of the work you're going to do, but there are certain things that you're not going to go fix. So do take time in brainstorming to say, we're going to fix this, or we're going to solve the problem to this point, but we're not going to address this other item, right? Put some things in the parking lot, as it were, um, for later, but do give voice to those things so that there are no assumptions about it because it's really easy to get to the point then when you start to ask people to make decisions and you're gonna get back into grinding mode because you didn't take the time to acknowledge that you weren't gonna solve something. So do that upfront and very honestly, what am I not planning to solve as part of this brainstorming session? And then now that you're brainstorming, I think what's really important is that you, um, you stay focused on your whiteboard. So here's one of the things I wanna say about whiteboards. It's a very literal visual example. I am sitting right now at a desk looking at a whiteboard and there's something important about that board. It has borders. It is not an endless mm. whiteboard. Mm -hmm. You need to establish some parameters. How long are we gonna brainstorm? How much optionality are we going to give ourselves? How long are we going to, I already said how long, how varied are we <laughs> going to get, right? I'm sorry, guys, I backtracked by accident. How varied are we going to get in our solutions? Um, we need to make sure that we actually recognize that even brainstorming, the whole concept of blue sky, white clouds, whiteboards, all the things, um, it sounds endless and wide open, which is a beautiful thought. But when you are problem solving, you need to work on a whiteboard that has borders and then commit to not writing on the wall that surrounds the board. 
at some point you need to recognize you've done enough, you've filled the board, you've given yourself a lot of options and it's time to stop. So does that make sense? I'm trying to give you that visual of the whiteboard on a wall and knowing that you need to contain this part of the process. No, I love that visual. That's perfect. And, you know, so that gets us to, I think a lot of times, and I even said it a minute ago, when you think about problem solving, you think of the classic, you gather information, you brainstorm, and then you make a decision. But there's this, there's this really quick step that you and I talked about that happens between brainstorming and decision where you have been clear about, okay, let's brainstorm, but we've got to do it within this realm. And now that we've gotten to a place where we haven't run down 8,000 rabbit trails, but we've gone down these three that feel like they're the most likely paths, now we need to come in and just evaluate. We need to check our angles and make sure to use your illustration, that we didn't run off the whiteboard even without realizing that we didn't come up with a solution that's not even a feasible, realistic possibility. And so there's this evaluate moment where we make sure that every solution we've put on the board actually lines up with reality. I think it lines up with the reality. And the other thing I would say is that does every solution represent the stakeholders that it should have? Did we accidentally allow politics, um, to enter the situation? Did we accidentally exclude a stakeholder that have a point of view that's important? I mean, let's not forget that there are times and there are people and there are processes where people are left out of the room because people do not want their point of view to taint the answer, right? Mm -hmm. So do that quick check. We just came up with our options. Is everybody represented in my options? Do I have any blind spots in my options? And do I need to walk outside this room to run the options by some people that haven't been part of the brainstorming process to make sure that we didn't, oh my gosh, I'm gonna go like 1987 here, that we didn't get into groupthink mode. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if that's really an 80s thing, but it's old, right? It's a very long-standing concept. Let's yeah. make sure groupthink didn't take over our brainstorming and that our and that our options really are valid. No, I think that's a great point. And then I'm I'm keeping us moving here because you already told me that we couldn't brainstorm and gather information forever. So then we get to a point where you make a decision. And that seems like the dumbest, most obvious thing for us to take time on a podcast to talk about in an action plan. But Laura, how many times have you sat in rooms and conversations where you were trying to solve a problem and no one would make a decision? I, I think it's actually one of the things that is just killing us in general in leadership. And I know I see it in corporate America. I'm going to guess that you see it in the world you live in as well. It is actually very unusual to find people who are willing to make a decision. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of people that are willing to bring options to the table. We have a lot of people that are willing to bring complaints to the table, but not a lot of people who are willing to say, here's a decision. We're going to make it and we're going to stand by it. And now let's move on. I've heard what everyone had to say. I've listened to the feedback. I've seen the options. I understand the pros and cons. None of these are perfect, but we're going to go with number three. Done. Um, and that's not an easy skill and it's not a risk that everybody is willing to take. So I will say, remember, let's go backwards. Do you have the right people in the room? At this point in your problem solving, make sure you have the person in the room who's going to be your decision maker. No who will guide a decision, who will make a recommendation, and then also who owns the right to make the decision, who actually has the decision right and is willing to exercise the decision right they own. 
Yes, absolutely. And we're actually going to come back to that in our second segment when we talk about some of the just caution flags in the midst of this whole process that can derail it or lead to more problems. And that is a big one. So put uh, put a pin in that because we are going to come back. But the last step in the action plan that we want to offer really quickly, and I'm going to throw this one back at Laura because last time she was cross-stitching pillows for me, but this is one of Laura's banner statements that's so helpful and absolutely belongs at the end of this, which is the who is going to do what by when. Jen, you said that so well. (laughs) The hypnotic podcast that I sent you to play at night is definitely doing its trick. (laughs) Exactly. All of your planning means nothing if you don't walk out of the room knowing who's going to do what by when, which means you have to have made a decision and you have to know what you're doing and how it works, but then who's doing what by when. All right. Well, we're going to come back in just a minute here and talk about in the midst of those those process and that fairly obvious layout of what it looks like to problem solve. Where are the big caution flags? And we'll be back with that in just a minute. Well, today in Real Talk, we have a fun, very immediate, very relevant story to share, and I love it because it's mostly at Laura's expense. There is currently a multiplication of bunnies happening at Laura's house, and y'all know how quickly bunnies multiply. That's not quite the kind of multiplication happening here, but in the midst of the quarantine and the time at home, Laura, you have gone from um, the problem of your youngest child wanting a bunny and being firmly in the no category as a parent to now there are multiple bunnies living in your home, fill in the gaps of what happened between A and B. I think in my defense, we should all just note that um, what happens in quarantine stays in quarantine. (laughs) The entire concept of parenting and problem solving is completely different. So um, by the time when this episode airs, I believe folks will be starting to be out a little bit more. But as we're recording this, we've all been home for about five weeks now. Mm -hmm. And I will be the first to acknowledge our youngest has wanted a pet bunny for so long and the constant feedback we've given her I actually shared this in one of our very first episodes was until you can keep your room clean for a month straight you can't have a bunny um um, which I thought would just last me until she went away to college but in the course of quarantine the rules all changed and both of our daughters had birthdays so we went from no one daughter who's asking cannot have a bunny to now having two daughters both with bunnies in just a short amount of time. Um, I want to be very clear that those two bunnies are not going to be living in the same hutch, so we do not expect further multiplication of bunnies, if you know what I mean. <laughs> That's hilarious, and I just love it because that happened to you, but in all fairness, I think that we're all there in different ways of, you know, making it through and some of the ways that we're solving our immediate problems <laughs> might lead to more problems <laughs> of, hey, now we have all these animals in our house. Um, but in the immediate, they are helping us solve the how do we get through here. And so I will also offer up that my children have worn me down on 
things like buying them water guns that before I would have been like, you have 18 Nerf guns, you don't need ones that shoot water. But we did in fact order water guns. And my oldest is currently making a very compelling argument for why this would be a good opportunity for us to get him a beginner drone to learn to fly. Um, Something to do with all of this time (laughs) and no school. I'm going to actually call Jake because I have some ideas for how to tighten up that business case. So tell him to expect you to be in contact. Thanks. Thanks. Glad we're on the same team. Friends. (laughs) I was just going to say, and that's really real talk when you hear sisters conspiring against each other by helping their their niece and nephew out. (laughs) Mm -hmm, Because she isn't kidding. That's real talk. In our first segment, we really covered with a lot of intensity and speed the process for making a decision and really getting to the part of solving a problem. What Jen and I'd like to do here for a few minutes is really dig into some of the caution flags that you get in problem solving. Where can things go wrong um, and what are some of the biggest challenges or red flags that go up over the course of solving a problem? I want to start with one, Jen. Let's call this complexity is the enemy. Mm -hmm. How does complexity just get us derailed? Talk us through that. Well, complexity is the enemy because the minute that you find yourself wrapped up in 18 layers, then you're already off track and that should be your first caution flag that you forgot your problem statement that you spent so long getting to (laughs) through all the whys. Like complexity to me is what happens when you don't actually understand what you're doing. It goes back to the, and again, because as we've already established, I'm not the person that should be leading through this because I am more of a visionary leader versus the strategist side of things. But it's, you know, it's really in communication. If you can't say it in a sentence, then you shouldn't say it in a paragraph. Because now you're just confusing. Now, if you can say it clearly in a sentence, then you can illustrate and bolster and add to your argument. But you need to be able to clearly and concisely not just list the problem, but in the brainstorming process, you have to come at things in ways that are simple and understandable. And until they are, you can't call it a potential solution. It's just more layers. It's just more layers. And sometimes those layers are added intentionally. And I'm just going to be the person that's going to call that what it is. There are some people who are actually really struggle with letting a problem be solved. They Mm -hmm. see their value in doing the cleanup work. We've talked before about that person who loves putting on their superhero cape and being the hero. Mm -hmm. Um, So solving a problem actually could take away their hero status. Um, In some cases, people really like to demonstrate how much they know by bringing complexity to problem solving. Mm -hmm. Oh, but did you know this? And what about that? And what if you about this? As a leader, whether it's the um, functional leader in the room or the leader of or leader facilitator of that particular problem solving session, one of the things you need need to keep coming back to is why is that information important? We talked about that um, in our first segment when we said, you know, key in on the important information. But even as you start to get further into this whole concept of putting together your action plan, don't make it more difficult than it needs to be because that is going to be troublesome. And recognize when people are adding difficulty intentionally um, and make sure that you address those issues quickly because 
you are naive if you don't think those people are around you in your organization. And sometimes they're not doing it intentionally. So it's a really difficult thing to handle, but you can't address it if you don't recognize it for what it is. So let's get complexity out of the problem. Jen, I think there's another kind of complexity. We hit on it very briefly, but let's get into it a little bit more. This type of complexity is we've created 372 different options which can be so troubling mm -hmm. and make it really difficult. I think a really good example right now is we've been dealing with this whole thing with communicating online, right? Our So much of our world has gone to communicating virtually. And there's a lot of different ways to do that. You can do it with Skype. You can do it with Zoom. You can do it with Teams. You can do it with Skype for business or regular Skype. You can do it via FaceTime. Um, and I'm sure a bunch of other ways that I'm not smart enough to think about, right? Um, Complexity isn't helpful. Now, I'm not saying there isn't a time and a place for each of those platforms, but if mm -hmm. you are one person with one team, pick a platform and use it and don't yes. add confusion to what you're doing. Even with folks, I'm going to get into your world, joining church online on Sunday. I don't need five different ways to get there. Pick one or two that work really well for most people and get really good at delivery via those platforms. Don't add five more to make it easier. You've just made things more difficult. Exactly. Back to better, not more, because a lot of times and most times more is simply more and it takes away from clarity and you're never going to solve a problem, much less understand a problem and certainly reach a solution if you don't have clarity. And so understanding the difference between complexity and clarity is huge. So the next one that I would though move quickly into is the um, the one we mentioned in the first segment of do you know how a decision's ultimately going to be made. And here's what I mean by this. And this doesn't apply just to problem solving. This is any meeting you're going into ever. And I know we've talked about rules for meetings in earlier episodes, but this was something that I learned that really did change and help the ways that I facilitate meetings. And it's knowing which pieces are for discussion and which pieces are for decision and for things that are coming to the table for decision does everyone know in advance how the decision's going to be made? Because you can derail a problem-solving circumstance in a hot minute if you get to a point and someone suddenly makes a decision and you were a vested stakeholder who thought you were going to be part of making a decision because now your buy-in to that decision is totally in question. And so it really does come back to this idea of when you're starting this kind of process, especially as clearly as we've talked about it, right? We've really zeroed into a very specific, this is a problem solving arrangement. When you walk into that kind of thing, you have to know, is this something we're going to decide by consensus or who is the person in the room that ultimately is going to decide? Because it changes how you make your arguments and even how you view things. It does. And it's really important not only for the people in the room to know who the decision maker is, um, but it's also important for the decision maker to know that they're the one that's on. Ooh, and good call. that might seem really nuts balls as I say that. Yes, nuts balls is the phrase I just used. <laughs> um, that might seem like a really, really crazy idea. But there are times it's happened to me where I've been in a room um, an hour long, a bunch of things are presented and all eyes turn to me and they go, so what do you want to do next? 
Mm-hmm. And I sometimes I've done it. I've actually literally before looked over my shoulder and been like, are you talking to me? Mm-hmm. And that's not because I'm a decision denier. I think everyone that listens to this podcast <laughs> knows I'll make a decision any day. <laughs> but it is because I need to know going into the room that that's the expectation of me. Right. In some cases, I expected the people in the room to make their own decisions. So my disappointment isn't in the surprise that they want me to make a decision. It's in that they couldn't make it themselves. So let's all be clear on the expectation for a decision. And sometimes that takes starting, maybe it's a recommendation meeting and you start at the beginning by saying, today we are going to hear three recommendations. And it is our belief that after we give these recommendations, we are gonna get approval from persons one, two, and three to move forward. Make it clear what you expect to get no, out of that. That is such a good call. And I'm so glad that you said that, Laura, because that is a big deal. If if you are that person, you've got to own that. And I know that none of us want to see ourselves as the dictator. And it doesn't have to be that way. And especially if it's clear up front. If you're in the decision-making seat, you've got to own it. Yes, that means the buck stops there. Yes, that means there's responsibility that's coming to you on the other side of this decision and how it works or doesn't work. But someone has to sit in that seat. And that's just one of the privileges and responsibilities of leadership. But you've got to own it when you're there. And conversely, it also means that if that is where you sit in in an organizational role, that you've got to be diligent going into a scenario if that's not how it's going to play out. If there's a department represented where organizationally you've got to get around something but ultimately it falls back to that department and you want that department to have the final say then again this is where in this whole brainstorming problem solving process you have to know that at the outset of hey I'm going to get the team together I'm going to facilitate this conversation and then ultimately we're going to have given you enough information for your department to decide and, and to move where you want to move. But that way, that person isn't waiting for you and is owning that from the front end, um, which changes how we listen, right? If you know you're the decider, it changes how you listen. And if you listen, let's just call that what it is. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> but um boom And there it is, ladies and gentlemen. Mic drop. We're just going to stop the episode. <laughs> <laughs> listen, I'm just calling it like I see it. Um, especially in these days of conference calls all the time, it is easy to get distracted. Make sure you know when you've got to be the one that's on point. Okay, we've beat that one well in our caution flag round here. We have beware of the complexity, beware of clarity around who makes the decision. I want to hit a third one, Jen. Number three, beware of angles that are being played in the process. Hmm, you suggest things are political and that people have agendas. Do uh, do tell every now and then. I listen. <laughs> I I'm being kind of negative today. You can smack me around. That's if you all ever right. See me again. That's all right. Um, I like the sass. Look, we're all in it. It's good. I, I'm trying to be realistic, not negative. Listen, problem solving, just like everything else in the world, is fraught with people with agendas. Mm-hmm. Um, it can show up in the way information is presented. I took a great course once on data framing, an actual course on how to frame data. Like this is the world we live in, folks. Let's not <laughs> pretend we don't. Um, but let's be aware that in problem solving, there are angles being played in the process. I alluded to one earlier. Who got invited and who didn't? Ask yourself very carefully, are there people missing from this room that should have been here? Because it could be possible that they were intentionally excluded because they might have a piece of information or a point of view that's 
that someone wanted to suppress or maybe just didn't want to bring to it because they knew it would lead to something they didn't want to talk about, right? Yep. So there could be someone that's being excluded. Maybe there's an option that is noticeably absent when you're brought to that kind of final recommendation discussion, right? Um, maybe it's that the angle being played is that you're only being presented with the point of view of one customer, not being told that there's two other customers in the wings where if you make this decision, you made it great for that customer, but two others, um, I'm really trying hard not to say got screwed. Do you see how hard I'm trying not to get there? <laughs> Laura, I love it. You're just, I, you're just in it. I love it. I'm in it today, but it is what it is, right? I want leaders, um, and even, I don't care what your leadership role is, you're leading from within, from up in front, from behind, from up, from down, whatever your role is in this situation, be discerning. Recognize angles are being played around you, be willing to call them out, but be a discerning listener. And that's not a negative thing. I just wanna say again, some people, sometimes people don't even know they're doing it. It's not intentional, and it's sometimes it's naive and honest and and natural to folks. It's not always a negative, nasty thing, but there are angles and there's misinformation that you have to be aware of when you're problem solving. Absolutely. And I'm I'm going to Bing Crosby and White Christmas of everybody's got an angle. Everybody's working an angle of some sort. And I think it's just important to not only know the angles being played by others, but to know that sometimes you're intentionally playing an angle. That's okay as long as you know what it is so that when you get to that evaluation process, you can remember to double back and go, okay, this is the angle I purposely excluded. And is there an impact level? And as long as there's an awareness to that, of this is the piece we left out of the room, then you're okay. But again, it's a you can't play games and you can't ignore the the angles and the elephants and all of those kinds of things. So I think that's great. Laura, I also want to offer to you that I've been thinking that the tattoo that I'm going to get as my next tattoo following this coronavirus mess is just the word salty. And now I'm thinking I need to offer that to you as as your <laughs> next as your next tattoo. Um, just go go ahead and, and put it. I mean, and that's not a negative thing because it is what I was thinking about for myself. Just, just calling it salty and going with it. I suspect you were thinking about getting salty tattooed on you for a very different reason than you're <laughs> suggesting that I get tattooed on me. I think it's multi-purpose. It has many angles, if Listen, you will. I think this is an important moment. <laughs> it's just an important moment. Our listeners need to know that the one tattoo I do have is very <laughs> modest, but it says choose joy. And you can go ahead and giggle that I've been a little salty and a pretty aggressive realist over the last 15 minutes. But my tattoo does say choose joy. And I do believe that. And we will cover that on a whole nother episode another time. But for now, um, to all of our problem solvers out there, I think we've laid out a decent process. We've given you some cautions. And the last thing I'll say is go have fun. Problem solving is super fun stuff. The post-it notes, the colored markers, the opportunity to brainstorm, the chance to work cross-functionally. This is the fun kind of work. I don't care who you are. So don't forget to enjoy it along the way. On today's memory lane moment, in the spirit of problem solving, I want Jen to tell the backstory on one of the greatest problem solving efforts ever to play out in our family. I will set this. I will set the scene. <laughs> the year was. No, just kidding. We're not going to go that far. Um, 
as most of you know, I travel a lot for work. That travel started very early in my career. And at one point early in my career, I was away on a trip and I did not know that while I was making that business trip, there were people at home who were planning to throw a surprise bridal shower for me upon my return. Insert O'Hare International Airport in Chicago on my route home. <laughs> no, this was so great. And Laura can tell more of the particulars of the travel end. What I can tell you is that mom and I were planning just this great bridal shower for Laura. This was kind of, if I can be honest, back in the day. That makes us sound old and we're not. But back in the day where you really just had one one shower like I feel like now you have lots of showers and you know different kinds of showers and all those kinds of things but we were throwing this one really big bridal shower for you before your wedding and we had planned it we thought so perfectly to be a surprise because we were setting it up while you were gone um, on a business trip. And so you, we were gonna be able to do all of the preparation and then you were gonna get home the night before and then we would do it the next day and we were doing it at our aunt's house. And so mom and I had gone up the day before and we were making the cake and getting everything decorated, thinking, isn't this so great of us? We're totally under the radar getting all of this stuff pulled together. Until in the middle of cake baking, we got the phone call that your flights were all kinds of messy up and you were going to be stuck in O'Hare for the night. And so we were suddenly in this whirlwind of um, we're about to throw a shower and we're not sure that the guest of honor is going to be here. And as flights were getting shuffled and everything was happening on that end, um, what I remember is that we got to a place the next day where we realized that you were going to end up arriving back in Pennsylvania at the airport at roughly the same time your shower was supposed to start. And so we got in touch with everybody that was coming to the shower. We completely reorganized. We problem solved like it was our job. We had zero time to gather information. And so this was good because mom and I aren't the um, poster children for making quick decisions, but we didn't have a choice. And so we, we got everyone rallied around and we showed up at the airport, and then this is funny because again, we're in another one of these big um, culture shifting moments with the coronavirus, but this was pre 9-11. And so we actually were able to go in the airport all the way up to your gate. And so everyone that was gonna be at the shower showed up at the airport. We were right there at the gate as you came off, which was absolutely fun and amazing. And it was a great memory. Now, of course, you were in this heightened emotional state from being completely tired because you had slept in an airport or not really slept. I don't know if they even gave you a hotel room. I don't know. But you didn't have your baggage because that was still somewhere. And you were getting off this airplane. You thought you were going home to recover from what had been an absolutely crazy travel experience. And instead, this whole group of people was standing there with posters and taking you directly to our aunt's house for a party. One of my favorite pieces of this, though, in the whole, you know, you solve a problem and you create more along the way is that when we realized last minute that you weren't going to have your baggage we asked your fiance now husband our favorite historian john um, and our father 
to pack a bag of your clothing that they could then bring to our aunt's house so that you could change as soon as we got there and before we got into the the eating and the gifts and everything else. And so without getting into embarrassing specifics, we essentially put our father and your not yet husband in a position of going through all of your personal belongings (laughs) to pack that bag. And I will just never forget the two of their faces. And even when mom and I called, when they were like, we should bring what? Yeah, that's a, I got to tell you that I always forget that part of the story, but I think that it's, it's a great story in problem solving. You gave us a lot of good detail there and it really it, funny. I have multiple follow-up questions when we're done, um, but it really is just such a fun story in problem solving, even things that look like they are going to be the unexpected, the terrible, the disappointing, whatever that looked like it could be. Um, what a great memory now of all those people waiting and the cool signs. You guys had made some really cool, funny signs um, yeah. that when I got off the plane, most of the folks that were on this plane with me were like, what is going on? Um, it was one of those moments I will never forget. And if I could go back in time, I wish I would have been able to brush my teeth sooner in the whole process. <laughs> but otherwise, I wouldn't have it any other way. Jen, thanks for that great walk down memory lane. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode has made you laugh, made you think, and helped you grow in your somewhat salty, industrious life. Thanks for all of the feedback you've been sharing with us, and we'd like to encourage you once again. If you haven't done it yet, please take time to subscribe to our podcast on the platform of your choice, and go find us on Instagram and like us and follow from here on out. Thank you so much to our loyal listeners for everything that you give back to us. Sisters, business, what can go wrong? Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Sisters of Industry. Join us weekly as Laura and Jen reflect on their shared upbringing and divergent life experiences to draw out lessons to help us all lead and live meaningful, industrious lives.